0: Support from Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans who are excited to introduce their all-new rate shield approval. If you're looking to buy a home, rate shield approval is a game changer and here's why. Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop, and here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, your rate also drops, so you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool Thursday, November 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. of Foolapalooza continues. Again, we're taping this a little earlier in the week, uh, so we will not be talking about the news of the day. We will, however, be dipping into the Fool mailbag. It is an all-mailbag. You know what? I shouldn't say it's an all-mailbag <laughs> episode, because we do have one... Timely story from this
1: week that I want you to weigh in on. Maybe we should take a stab at what the news of the day perhaps will be. <laughs> I mean, that could be just you know an end of the uh, show. Hey, let's take a stab at it, and wherever the chips fall, that's where they fall.
0: I think. Uh, I think on Thursday, one of the news stories is going to be, hey, Disney reporting earnings tonight. What do we think it's going to be? Well, well, and we'll hit that on Motley Fool Money on Friday.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a lot of good stuff for uh,
0: radio show this week. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Drop us an email, would you? For crying out loud, we're lonely. And also we like questions about stocks and investing. So marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from longtime listener, Gary
1: Carr in Rome. Rome. What's he doing in Rome? I thought you know I I've,
0: I've see tweets from Gary. He's having an amazing. You know what? If you're in Rome, you're having an amazing time. It's a beautiful place. You're living the life. That's what you, that's what Gary's doing. Uh, here's Gary's question. I frequently hear a foolish analyst talk about a stock or a company trading at a multiple of, quote, forward earnings, close quote. I assume a factor in this calculation is a company's guidance for the future, but can someone please explain how this is calculated and why it is a reliable indicator for the performance of a business? Great question.
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, we we do... Uh Use that metric from time to time, and ultimately, I mean, the real answer here is that ultimately, it's just another tool in the toolbox. And as investors, I mean, really, we like to be able to look at these businesses and and their valuation, the stocks valuations, from as many different perspectives as we can. I mean, that just gives us more to go on uh, you know to to, to be able to, to make judgments there and so when we talk about forward earnings typically when you talk about PE right the price to earnings ratio and that is calculated using the trailing 12 month earnings and so you take the price of the stock uh, in in relation to the trailing 12 months uh, of the company's earnings. And, and with forward earnings, as, as you may understand, it is it is taking a look at the forward picture. And oftentimes, it is utilizing the company's own guidance in, in what they're projecting for the coming year. Uh, sometimes, companies don't really like to offer a lot of guidance, and so we can go on projections from Wall Street analysts, and, and a lot of times you'll get uh, th- those those estimates and they'll come up with a consensus and sort of average it out. But ultimately, what this does, it just gives us one more way uh, to look at the value of the stock. Uh, because we know that the market is forward-looking, and, and if we can get an idea of how the market is viewing the stock today based on the potential uh, for the earnings in the coming 12 months, that's, that's another perspective. And I will also say that um, when companies issue that guidance themselves, we can look at that forward guidance and compare it to historically what they've done, whether they've hit that guidance, whether they typically miss that guidance, and and uh, then you can get a better idea of of where that stock may be sitting uh, at that time, and and so
0: you know it, it can be helpful. It's one of those things that involves a little bit more work on the part of the investor, but I I like. Trusting the management of the companies that I own shares of, and so that that to me is one more good way to figure out how trustworthy are these people, how good is their track record, how good are they at this type of thing. And I don't know about you, but for me, I always prefer the underpromise, over deliver. I always prefer oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. just be cautious. There's. Virtually no upside to. You know what we're going to do in
1: the next twelve months? We're going to crush it. <laughs> well, typically, like those those um, those companies are weeded out pretty quickly. Like if we see those companies that really don't do a very good job of of managing those expectations, and and they tend to sort of <laughs> overpromise and underdeliver, uh, we identify them very quickly. The market weeds them out. And so I, I agree with you. I'd rather see a company really uh, go ahead and underpromise and then overdeliver. And and a lot of times. You just you get a better idea, you get a better sense of how how familiar management is with the business and what they're trying to do based on that track record. And so, I mean, even if we look beyond just something like forward earnings, um, I think Netflix is a really good example of a company where quarter in and quarter out, they do a pretty phenomenal job of targeting that those subscriber additions, and and that is something based on what they know about that business. I mean, there's a lot that goes on there that we don't really obviously know about, and and that's one of the reasons why the business is so successful, because they know what they're doing with a lot of that data. And so, they've been very reliable, uh, only missing that number on occasion. Now, when it misses that number, the market tends to kind of punish the stock, but for the most part, they hit that number or often exceed it, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why the market has given the stock a lot of credit. Is because really they see the rosy future that does exist for that company based on a lot of what they've done in the past.
0: Question from Liam Beck in Canada. This is shaping up to be an all international email bag. Well, we're episode. global that's here. Fun. I mean, we're we're worldly people. That, well, and we we don't just have dozens of listeners here in the U.S. It's around the world. Uh, Liam writes, "I'm a relatively new young investor." 21 years old, but actively invest in U.S. equities. I recently took a look at my mom's portfolio. Well, Liam, <laughs> I hope I hope Good your man. mom. I hope your mom asked you to. I hope <laughs> you didn't just like hack her computer or something. I recently took a look at my mom's portfolio and noticed she was in a mutual fund with total fees up to four and a half percent. Yikes! Obviously, eating away at her returns. I'm going to help her invest in ETFs. Now, my question is: Would it be more beneficial to invest a portion? In the Vanguard VFV or VSP? Uh, Please explain those for the listeners as you you did to me before we started taping
1: this. (laughs) You know, I just got a question on Twitter. Someone direct messaged me on Twitter. Name Liam fits this guy's age group here. He was asking me about Teladoc. Now, I'm not going to go into that answer, but I just wonder if this is the same Liam. If so, thanks for the question. And, um, yeah, so this this is an interesting situation here, and and it goes back to the the basic concept of ETFs, exchange traded funds. We like those; they're a great way to invest. You can get broad exposure, uh, nice diversity, and uh, it, it can help uh, give investors a, a way to sort of de-risk investing in, in the stocks. Also, um, with ETFs, you
0: don't have to buy a minute. Like mutual funds, not knocking mutual funds, but mutual funds, you have to. You know, there's a two thousand dollar limit, three thousand dollar limit, like minimum buy as as part of the purchase.
1: ETS basically just it's just like you're buying a stock. It's just a more it's just a a more diversified uh, holding really. And so when we're talking about these two funds, uh, the the VSP or I'm sorry, yeah, the VSP versus the VfV. Now these are funds that seek to track the S&P 500 index, very similar to what we talk about here, uh, just in in your basic Vanguard S&P index fund, except these two funds, the VFV and the VSP, are Canadian funds. So, there is a little bit of a difference between the two. Um, They are essentially the same, with the one difference being that the VSP hedges its currency exposure to the Canadian dollar like that is the only difference and so then it becomes a matter of how important to you is actually hedging and so so it's basically I've got these two funds one is hedged one is not yeah exactly one is hedged and one is not now typically hedging involves some form of expense right there's a cost involved with doing that uh, and at, as you'll hear I mean on market foolery on Motley Fool money we we Often talk about currency effects. We talk about these quarterly reports, and we talk about uh, the the revenue growth, and we'll we'll talk about the revenue growth x currency effects. And the reason why we do that is because we take a longer view, I think, than than a lot of of Wall Street uh, investment firms. and And so, typically, we don't pay as much attention to those currency effects because number one, they're very difficult to predict. But also, number two, they tend to sort of ebb and flow, right? The longer that your timeline goes out, the less material they are, the less you really should worry about it, because it's very difficult to predict in any way what currency effects may be 10 years from now. A great business is going to be a great business, and and if you've got a business that's worrying about some currency effects, well, hey, that's okay, because that means it's making a lot of money in a lot of different places. Uh, So, for me, it really then boiled down to looking at the Performance of the two funds to get a better idea of of whether one materially outperformed the other, and in looking at these two together in Capital IQ here, it is uh, very clear that the the VSP fund is uh, it, it, it has underperformed the VfV over the course of the, of the past ten years. The VfV fund has has been the better performer by a long shot. The VFV fund is the non-hedged, right? And so to me, it just shows that really it's in line with our general philosophy that I wouldn't really worry too much about the hedging side of things. Uh, it's not that it's a bad way to do it, but we just believe that the longer that your investing timeline is, the less material it is to what you need to be considering. And so if I was going to recommend one of the two based on historical track record, I would go VFV. I think that the S&P 500 is a great way to invest anytime you're trying to mirror that index. I'm a big fan, and I, I do own uh, shares of an S&P index fund in my 401k, too. So, uh, Great way to invest. You're probably not going to do poorly either way, but I would, I would probably go the non-hedged way if it, if it was me personally. A
0: great point by Liam. Uh, as young as he is, recognizing what fees can do to your returns. Yes, and that's one of the reasons we love Vanguard is they've got really low fees.
1: Yeah. And, I, you know, man, make sure your mom hears this episode, Liam, because clearly you're looking out for. I mean, when you've got a kid that's trying to save you money, I mean, that's, you know, not all mothers are so lucky. I hope she realizes uh, she's got a good son looking out for She her. raised him right. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out to uh, Rocket Mortgage
0: because of rising interest rates. Oh, and they're rising. Make no mistake, people, the interest rates, they are arising. A lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home, and some folks are getting nervous, and Quicken Loans is trying to help with that. They've got a new thing called the Power Buying Process, and it works like this. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval, and that gives you the strength of a cash buyer. So once you're verified, you qualify for their all new exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And the best part is, if rates go up, and when I think about the next 90 days and the Fed meeting in December, I think there's a good shot of that. (laughs) Rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates happen to go down, good news, your rate also drops, so you win either way. Exactly the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on and Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Uh Before we get to our final email, the news of the week. And I had Matt Argesinger here in the studio to talk about this, but you were the person I immediately thought of, and clearly some (laughs) of the listeners did based on what I saw on Twitter. Bojangles, the jangler being taken private, not a shock to you.
1: No, 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 not a shock at all. I mean,. we 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 had a an episode of Market Foolery back on August 27th, and I mean I went back and looked this up and, and just confirmed uh, my notes from this. But we we had talked about just a few sort of different big picture topics, and one of them was let's make a deal. And my argument at the time was that Wendy's should actually buy Bojangles. I thought it would give them um, great exposure to the lucrative. Chicken market, and let's face it, that chicken market is lucrative. Chris, I mean, you've got KFC out there winning a lot of dollars for Yum, Chick Fil A just making a mint on its own. Uh, and, and Popeyes is now part of restaurant brand. So for me, that would have been a really ideal uh, way for Wendy's to to add some of that uh some of that uh, chicken power, so to speak. And they could have done it really with uh, an all stock deal with their share at recent highs. It would have it would have made a lot of sense. Um, that said, I understand why they wouldn't be interested. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, nostalgia for me when it comes to Bojangles. Uh, growing up, you know, hey, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it's the best food in the world. I mean, I love their chicken biscuit. and They've got some good sweet tea, and I you know I like their seasoned fries. But you know, I mean, I'm not eating Bojangles very often either. So, um, to me, the biggest challenge they've always faced and and the one that was proving i think to be a bit more uh, insurmountable than than they initially thought was was taking it beyond the southeast. I mean this is a southeastern concept really and to be able to move across the country is is not always so easy. And with Bojangles it it had always it had always had that southern that southeastern identity. I think it's proven more difficult really especially when you have such such big concepts out there, successful concepts like Popeyes and, uh, and uh, KFC and, and Chick-fil-A. So, uh, And Popeyes particularly, because they are s- focused on that spicy chicken, you know, which, which is something Bojangles is known for as well. So, uh, not surprising to see it. Probably a good thing, ultimately, for shareholders. I mean, there's a reason why I never bought the stock, there's a reason why I never recommended this stock. Uh, restaurants are notoriously difficult, and Bojangles uh, certainly uh, was facing a lot of challenges. We've seen a lot of restaurants get taken out. This is just another one, it looks like.
0: It has been a rough year for publicly traded restaurants. On the flip side, it has been a good year, I would argue, for branding. And that leads us to our final email, which is from Eric Smith in Indiana, who simply writes Oath is dead, along with Trunk. Long live Verizon Media Group. <laughs> so earlier this year, we took a victory lap, rightfully so, in my opinion, on uh, Tribune Media. After two years of inflicting the name Trunk on the world, they finally had the good sense to backtrack and go back to their, their roots of Tribune. Um, Verizon last year, as some may recall, merged uh, its AOL and Yahoo divisions into a new group that they called Oath. Let that, sit, let, let that sink in for those who may have missed that. Oath. And this week, they came out and said that they are
1: rebranding it as Verizon Media Group. I'm blaming the startup culture, really, for this. <laughs> I mean, because let's face it, we're, we're living in an age where there are a lot of stupid company names and like plays on words, and it's like you try to come up with something clever. But really, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is this communicating what we want it to communicate? And for me, when I look at Oath versus what it's now called right Verizon Media Group i mean it just seems so blatantly obvious yes. that Verizon Media Group is the better name how how oath ever happened is is just it's just it's they're they're trying to be clever right i think Tronk was was the same thing i mean we just are living in this day and age where you got a lot of funny company names some are sticking most of them are dumb and and i think oath and Tronk are going to go down in history as just Dismal failures and good examples of when you just try to overthink something a little bit too much, what the result can be.
0: Well, and as we were talking about right before we started taping, obviously stupid. Like when Tronk <laughs> got announced and when Oath got announced, the verdict was swift <laughs> and unyielding. I was like, this is an obviously stupid name. And by the way, when, when we talk about the way amazon has built their business and jeff bezos particularly in the earlier days of amazon.com being hyper focused on what he referred to as points of friction on the website and saying we want to get people as close to the purchase point as possible and anything that is a point of friction is going to reduce sales oath in its own way and trunk and in its own way were points of friction because sure. if, some, if you get an email for it's like hi I'm so and so from Oath you're going to spend the next ninety seconds or so just being like what is this it's like oh well it's actually the 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 media buying group within Verizon
1: oh okay I'm sorry what did you want to talk about precisely you know I feel like the connection that you draw to me with bojangles on this show. That's your trunk, <laughs> right? Trunk is to you what Bojangles is to me because this will—I f- I feel like we'll look back on this years from now. we will still be talking about it because you, I mean, you never let up on it, man. And and you know, you you tend to kind of you like to give people the benefit of the doubt. You're a nice guy. You didn't have any let up here. You were dead right on. I mean, and, and oath was very much the same way. But there are a lot of frictional costs as you as you noted. And and when you have to re-identify. That that's that's a big problem because if you spend a lot of time educating someone as to what the brand really is in the first place, and then you got to ditch it and start reeducating people as to what it is, at least re-educating to Ver- Verizon Media Group would be, I think, a pretty easy leap. Oh, I get it. You're the Media Group for Verizon. Why didn't you just say it in the first place? I mean, that's what they should have done.
0: I don't think we're ever going to find out what the number is that they spent, that Verizon spent. And Verizon's a huge company, they make all kinds of money, I get it. But if I were running Verizon just for my own edification, I would want to know two things. One, as close to the final dollar amount as we can get, what's the cost? And then two, whose baby was this? Yeah, Because whoever that is, I'm not saying they get fired, I'm not saying they get demoted, I'm just saying the next time We're in a meeting, and they stand up and say, "I have an idea." It's like, no, 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 no. You 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 forfeited your 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 chance to put forth ideas for at least six months. You're in the penalty box.
1: It just it smells like a Job Bluth doing right from Arrested Development. I could just see this as like an Arrested Development episode where they are just coming up with this utter non sequitur brand identification and somehow justifying it, and just everybody looking at everybody on the outside looking and knows you're just getting ready to light a bunch of money on fire.
0: <laughs> Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, in The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.